Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs, hosted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc., featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we are on Save the Lost at All Costs. I am at a remote location today, so we will not be taking any phone calls, but I do want to give you some information that's very important when you listen and how you can bless the radio station. So, number one, we are able to be seen and heard over KKVV's website. That web address is www.kkvv.com. You can watch us, you can listen by phone, if you have the internet, by desktop, if you have the internet, and we're also can be heard on our website, which is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, please go to our website, again, www.savethelostlv.org. Look for our weekly archives. Just click on to it. You can listen as often as you like. The gospel is always free on our watch. We have a lot of other resources there available, and I hope that you would spend time on the website and tell someone else about it. If you have an Apple device, we are being archived for free on iTunes, too. Now, KKVV has blessed us with a cell phone number that you can dial to listen to KKVV anytime you like. Matter of fact, you can listen to Save the Loss at All Costs right now. I would like to give that number out twice. I strongly encourage you to make it one of your phone contacts. It'll be one of the best phone contacts that you have. And you can listen to KKVV 1060 AM or 100.1 FM when you dial this number. It only works in the United States, so I'm going to give it to you twice. That number is 605-313-0630. Again, 605-313-0630. So we're going to get right into our discussion today. And what we are going to be talking about is faith. Again, our discussion today is about faith. So I am going to start a series on faith. This will be the first part of a four-part series, and we are going to look at different parts of faith as we see it in the Word of God. So the first one I'm going to start with is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. I will be reading from the New King James Version. Again, this is a four-part series. This is part one, and our topic is faith. So it is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, 
and the Word of God says this, verse 8, excuse me, verse 5. It's chapter 8 in Matthew 5 through 13. So let me start again. Verse 5, the Word of God says this, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, verse 6, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Verse 7, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. 11, and I say to you that many will come from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Twelve, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thirteen, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So I want to share with you some Bible commentary in reference to these scriptures, and I am coming from BibleTools.org. Again, BibleTools.org. That would be B-O-B-L-E-T-O-O-L-S.org. And that's what I'm using, and uh, we're going to look at the Forerunner Commentary. Again, Forerunner Commentary. So this is what it says in reference to scriptures, Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. There are several discernible character traits in the Saturian as described by Matthew and Luke. First, he cares for and is concerned about his servant, although the servant is a slave. He does not treat him as one. In fact, he is dear to the Saturian. And so his suffering moves the centurion to compassion. Second, he is humble and sees himself as unworthy as a Gentile to approach the Jew Jesus, whether personally or through the intercession of others. Luke describes this humility more vividly than Matthew does. Christ respects the humble and acts accordingly. The centurion's humility is seen in his consciousness of his own sins and the recognition of Jesus' holiness and excellence. Third, he has obvious faith in Christ's ability to heal. He knows not to expect a magical cure, rubbing an idol or touching a charm, nor does he ask for a sign that a miracle would be performed. His humility shows his outgoing concern for another human being, and it is outstanding because of his rank. 
people with status are rarely humble. When people are given even a low position or title, they often become inflated with pride, valuing themselves of more importance and worth than is realistic. The centurion's humility is also unusual due to his authenticity. Roman soldiers were trained to think of themselves as superior to those whom they conquered and presided over, especially in regard to the Jews, whom they scorned. However, the centurion humbles himself significantly before the Jewish rabbi, Jesus, giving him great honor by abasing himself to the point that he says he is not worthy even of being in his presence. The centurion's humility teaches us that the most faithful people frequently consider themselves the most unworthy before God. In contrast, the weakest of people often deem themselves the most worthy. Likewise, a righteous person will readily admit his sinfulness, but the sinner will justify himself. Jesus calls the centurion's act of faith great because he does not ask for any sign, but believes in Christ's spiritual, supernatural ability. He does not expect anything visible. Jesus twice refers to a person having great faith, and in both cases, the person is a Gentile. The Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman who appeals for her daughter's healing. We find that in Matthew 15, verse 28. These two miracles show that faith transcends such things as race and birth privileges. Since the centurion is a Gentile, he has no promise by covenant of God's mercy, as do the Israelites. Thus, for him to have this kind of faith is a rare and great thing. His faith seems, excuse me, his faith sees Christ's power as he declares his holiness as a witness to other Gentiles. His faith shows his acceptance and respect of Christ as Savior and his submission to his will. He even believes that no direct contact is necessary for Jesus to perform the miracle. The centurion sees no restriction on Christ's power and ability to heal his servant. He understands that nothing limits God. It is interesting that Christ marvels over the magnitude of the centurion's faith. He understands the difficulty with which humans struggle with faith, that we are visually orientated, seeing the physical first and the spiritual second. Indeed, with most, the physical is more real than the spiritual. Yet the reality is that true power, glory, and love are all spiritual. These spiritual things are more real than the physical world that we see and hear. The material world will one day pass away, but the spiritual kingdom of God will last forever and ever. And we can find this in Luke 21, 33, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. My, my, how powerful was that? I would like to share with you the miracles of Jesus Christ healing a centurion servant. And there are a couple of parts to this. So we're going to look at part one first. I hope I can get to the rest, but we're going to attempt to. Again, the miracles of Jesus Christ, Healing a Centurion Servant, part one. And this is by Martin G. Collins. So let's get started. Only Matthew and Luke record the miracle of the healing of the centurion servant. We find that in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13, and Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I think I need to read Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So let me pull that up and get that for you. I'm here. I'm just getting to it. All right, so let me get to it. All right, so again, I'm still in the King James Version. I'm in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And the Word of God says this, verse 1, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Verse 2, And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. Verse 3, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. For, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Five, For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Six, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Seven, therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Eight, for I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Nine, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that follow him, I say to you, I have not found such a great faith not even in Israel. Ten, and those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. Both accounts indicate that the afflicted servant who needed Jesus Christ's help was young. Luke uses the Greek word dolus, meaning bond slave, Someone born into slavery. In Luke 7, verse 2, Matthew, however, uses pious, P-I-A-S, meaning a child or young person, Matthew 8, 6. The context indicates that this servant was not a little boy, but a young man still in his teens. Verse 3. 
The servant's master was a centurion, a Roman soldier in charge of 100 soldiers of the Roman garrison in Capernaum. Several centurions recognized Christ's special purpose and honored him. We can see this in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, Acts chapter 10, verse 1, Acts 22, verses 25 and 26, Acts 27, verse 1, Acts 28, verse 16. The miracle revealed that faith is sometimes found where we least expect it. Now, number one, why do Matthew and Luke's accounts differ? Comment. Although Matthew and Luke generally agree in their accounts of this incident, some differences occur. Matthew, a Jew, seems to have Israel in mind as he records Christ's somber warning to the nation, not to neglect personal responsibility, and to put their faith and hope in God instead of civil and religious institutions of man. They were in serious need of humility. We find this in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. On the other hand, Luke, a Greek, had fellow Gentiles in mind, so excluding the warning to Israel, he instead encourages the proud Gentiles to ask for the help they needed for their problems. He does this by showing that a centurion was able to persuade the Jewish elders to help in pleading to Jesus for his servant. Humility is necessary for happiness in life. We find this in Psalm 69, 32. Question two, what is the relationship between the centurion and his servant? Comment, the centurion's servant was dear to him. His affection for his young servant suggests he thought of him with respect and as important. The centurion's character revealed that he not only thought of his servant as valuable, but also that he was concerned for his well-being. As a key member of his household, apparently the servant was cherished by the centurion because he had endured himself to his master through noble service. He must have been diligent and faithful to his master since he received his master's esteem and concern. A good employee has a good relation with his employer and vice versa. Question three, how serious is the servant's condition? Comment, the servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented and sick and ready to die. These words describe the servant's sickness, paralyzed in pain and danger. His paralysis could have been the result of any number of life-threatening diseases. With this paralysis came horrible pain, and with the pain came misery. Ready to die reveals how grave the danger was for him. Jesus acts as the proper time, 
excuse me, Jesus acts at the proper time to save us from suffering and danger. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We find that in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Question 4. What responsibility do the messengers have? Comment. The centurion gives the messengers the responsibility to go to Jesus, not to sorcerers or pagan gods. He is the one the centurion seeks for help. The messengers are to seek him earnestly and formally on his behalf. The centurion's approach to Christ is not casual, but committed and respectful. He desires a blessing, and to secure it, he knows he has to demonstrate earnest commitment. To convey the centurion's faithful attitude, the messengers have to present the centurion's request carefully and accurately to Jesus to heal his servant. The centurion does not ask in a general or indirect way that would be unclear. The messengers are to be detailed and clear. They present the centurion's request enthusiastically and promptly. As the Greek text indicates, they were committed and faithful in carrying out their responsibility. They set an excellent example for members of God's church today. When we are asked to pray for people who are suffering from illness or injury, are we as diligent and earnest as these messengers were? When we ask others to pray for us, are we as faithful as the centurion was? The messengers, in appealing to Christ to come and to heal the servant, highly praise the centurion. Luke 7, verses 4 and 5. The centurion's attitude shows that he was a man who loved those under his authority. In addition, he loved the Jews, which was quite unusual since the Romans did not normally even like the Jews. His love for the Jews was more than just talk. It was combined with action. He gave generously of his resources to build a synagogue for them in Capernaum. Likewise, God expects love to flow from his church in generous and caring actions. He sets the example for us in that God demonstrates his love by giving. He gave us the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We see this in John 3.16. Never has there been a greater love. So I think I have time I am going to go to part two. And I hope you're enjoying the first part of our series on faith. So I'm going to continue, and this is by Martin G. Collins, and it's The Miracles of Jesus Christ, Water into Wine, part two. So we are going to go into some scripture. I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to have to look at some scripture. Sometimes God's commands are puzzling by the human mind. He tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher 
than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We will find this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. We may not understand why he gives them or what may feel they are out of touch with our circumstances, but we are to obey his every command, for his wisdom is greater than ours. In fact, as Paul writes, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. We can see this factor at work in Jesus' miracle at Cana. And you know it wasn't too long ago that we went over this. So I'd like to get back to Martin G. Collins' uh, lesson here. It says, In the ancient Near East, with the scarcity of water, wine was a necessity rather than a luxury. So it came to symbolize subsistence and life. Due to its close relationship to the ongoing life of the community in association with grain and oil, wine also representative of the covenant blessings God promised to Israel for obedience and which he would withhold for disobedience. Finally, wine also represents joy, celebration, and festivity, expressing the abundant blessing of God. One, what is the quality of Christ's miracles? Normally, the water pots supplied water in the ceremonial washing in accordance with Jewish tradition. We'll find that in Mark chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Each water pot could hold two to three firkins of water, equivalent to 17 to 25 gallons. That means that six water pots could hold a total of about 150 gallons of water. When Christ blesses, he does it abundantly. On other occasions, Jesus miraculously provided more than enough food. We find this in Mark chapter 8, verse 8, and John chapter 6, verse 13. His generous abundance in giving coincides with the wealth of his loving kindness. Two, could a person abuse the abundance of a miracle? Comment. Potentially, wine can generate either positive or negative results. Negatively, wine can be abused, causing a person to lose self-control. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We can find that in Proverbs 20, verse 1. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dispensation. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. When Jesus made the water into wine, he did not intend for the wedding guests to get drunk. He provided the right amount for the number of people in attendance to enjoy themselves, but not lose control. Question three, is Christ running a welfare program with his miracles? Comment, Jesus shows us that God is pleased to use human instruments in performing the wonders of his grace. He did nothing in changing water to wine that was unnecessary for him to do. 
The servants filled the vessels and took the wine to the master of the marriage feast. There was no reason for Christ to do this kind of work for them. Instead, he did what no one else could do. The principle applies to his work in us. He does not do things for us that we can do ourselves. Further, he will not perform miracles if they would destroy industriousness or encourage laziness and irresponsibility. Miracles do not excuse us from carrying out our responsibilities. Likewise, faith without works is dead. We find this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. It is an honor to work with God in faith to accomplish his will. And if done with the right attitude, no one ever regrets his involvement in that service. God commands are usually not easy to do, but they are possible and necessary to do if we want his blessing. In light of the principles, Paul states, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. We find this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. This miracle prods all who follow Christ to grow in faith. Question 4. What does obedience play in the receipt of blessings? Comment. When Christ desires to bestow a blessing... He often first gives a command, but since the carnal mind is enmity against God, we find this in Romans 8, verse 7, humans often do not like God or his servants telling them what to do. People want to have privileges without responsibilities and blessings without faithful obedience. Some of Christ's miracles are associated with commands, which must be obeyed for the miracle to occur. Thus, a person who lacks spiritual blessings may be lacking obedience, so an improvement in obedience to God often increases blessings. Obedience is key to great blessings. I would like to read that again. So... Let's start it again. When Christ desires to bestow a blessing, he often first gives a command. But since the carnal mind is an enmity against God, Romans 8, 7, humans often do not like God or his servants telling them what to do. People want to have privileges without responsibilities and blessings without faithful obedience. Some of Christ's miracles are associated with commands, which must be obeyed for the miracle to occur. Thus, a person who lacks spiritual blessings may be lacking obedience, so an improvement in obedience to God's often increased blessings. Excuse me. So an improvement in obedience to God often increases blessings. Obedience is a key to great blessings. Similarly, James reveals God's command regarding sickness and injuries that interfere with our normal activities. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We find this in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. God does not always tell us why we should do something. And frankly, we do not need explanations in order to obey. Puzzlement only shows our lack of wisdom, not God's. Running out of wine at the wedding feast could potentially have resulted in serious legal consequences for the wedding couple. Christ made up the deficiency, just as he does regarding our salvation. We find that in Acts 4, verse 12. Wine is a symbol of joy. When the wine ran out, the wedding feast began to lose its joy. But Christ's miracle brought it back to the wedding. This parallels the sinner's need for salvation. When we accept Christ as our Savior, repent, and are baptized, we become a new creature. Just as the water was changed to the finest new wine, great joy is the result. John chapter 2 verse 11 says that this miracle manifested Jesus' glory. Making water into wine glorified him, as does bringing sinners to salvation. Sin makes us fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three, but salvation brings glory to God, Ephesians 1, chapter 12, and eventually to us, Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 30. And again, that was the miracle of Jesus Christ, watered into wine, part two. So as you can see, these are great observations of faith that are in the Word of God. This commentary was very powerful. It was full of many scripture and many examples as to our Lord and Savior operating in faith. See, you want to see what it looks like, but it's important that we are not always looking for something physical. We need to be concerned with the spiritual because you may not be able to see it with the naked eye. But when you're spiritually connected to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you are connected to his Father. You are connected to the Holy Spirit. You are connected with the gifts and the tools of the kingdom of God. And see, when a person doesn't necessarily desire that, then their eyes become closed to what is happening in the spiritual realm. It was important to understand that the centurion knew that sorcerers couldn't help him and that pagan gods couldn't help him. It wasn't a time for crystals and rubbing on idols and paying for blessings, and looking for some magic. This was a young man 
under his charge. This was his servant, who he loved and cared for deeply. He understood that the Jewish faith was not about riches and gold. It was not about bragging. It was not about conquering. See, that was Rome. Everything force. Everything in access. It was not about worshiping the Most High God. It was about Caesar, a man. And there was a Caesar before him, and there would be a Caesar after him. There's only one God, the Most High God in all heaven and earth and creation. There's only one. Only one with the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only one. That as his Son was ascending back to his rightful place, in heaven, he was having the Holy Spirit come down to act as a comforter and a helper until he returned. The centurion understood that his servant needed a miracle. He humbled himself. He recognized our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's divinity. He understood that. He recognized it. He operated from that. Our Lord and Savior marveled at his faith. He said it was greater. He hadn't seen anything like it in all of Israel. It's a beautiful thing, men and women of God. That was blessed assurance to the Gentiles that they had a place at the master's table, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ welcomed them. It's a beautiful thing to see faith in operation. There's a humility about it. It doesn't need to see a sign. It doesn't demand. It believes. It's humble, patient, grateful. There are times that we will ask and we will not get what we ask. But just to have the pleasure and the opportunity to ask 
It's more than enough. See, when someone asks you to pray for them, prayer is the language of our Father in heaven. It is the language of the kingdom. It is the language of the divine spirit realm. What an opportunity when someone asks you to pray for them. That all this comes together. The power, the glory, and the honor in knowing that who you are seeking. How intimate and personal and private and divine and eternal that request is. And that you took it seriously. And you moved everything out of the way as if it was suspended in time to have this conversation with the great I am that I am. And to know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes intercession for us. He takes it to the Father. Can you imagine? The Lord and Savior to the whole world makes intercession for us. You got to realize how powerful it is. And the necessary component with faith. And I wanted to read the part twice about obedience. And that usually there will be a command that is requested and required before the blessing is released. For the manifestation of it. We ought to be quick when we hear the Spirit functioning to us. We ought to be able to stand that attention or drop to our knees as the Spirit is leading us so that we can act prayerfully or decisively in the command that may require movement. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. We have to get in contact with that. Just looking in our direction can transform our lives and anybody around us. The word tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. How can you ask something of someone when you don't believe in who they are? That's like speaking to someone and saying they don't exist. Yet you see them right there. You know who they are. These are very, very perilous times that are upon us. We have got to get this, men and women of God. 
we have got to get the basic foundation. Because if we don't, we cannot even partake in the gift of salvation, the gift of repentance, the gift of forgiveness. It does not operate without faith. We have to stop on our fixation of this real affliction of being overly visually stimulated. Do you know what it is that you're seeing? See, there are a lot of manipulators out there. A lot of people that don't have a problem showing you an image and it's not real. Because they know that if they can get you to react, that they can control you with images. The Word of God is based on the Word. His Word is powerful. It's all-powerful. It's nothing like it. We have to make sure that we are not being hoodwinked that we're not being played, that we're not being duped, that we're not being lazy in our study and obedience to the Word of God. We have to protect our eye gates Be careful, men and women of God. If you find yourself so enamored with reflections of yourself and of others and of things, be careful. Because that is not needed when you are speaking to God in the language that he commands us to speak to him in prayer. The centurion conveyed in humility to his messengers so that they could convey in humility to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the condition of his servant. And those of us who choose to serve, in which that should be all of us, based on our relationship 
we are commanded to hold all things near and dear pertaining to the kingdom of God. And with that, we must personify humility. And when we do that, we get in touch with our belief. Because it's the thing that we have that is most precious. It's personal. It's something that we share. Vertically. It's up and down relationship. It's us looking up to the Father and receiving what he's sending down. Not questioning it. Being humble and what results because we are open to his instruction and his correction, his guiding, the servants that he sends to speak to us, to encourage us, to pray for us, so that we can do the same. It was very exciting to see what was going on in the centurion's house because it was a reflection of what was going on in his heart. He had love for his servants. He had love for the nation from which he was called to be a servant to. He did not need to break the backs of the people to get them to do things. He could operate in respect and integrity and humility. His power was evident. But he choose to operate in meekness. Meekness is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of power under control. And he could recognize the greatness and the divinity in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we exercise our faith, we can tap into that and know that whatever the Father sends, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has intercessed on our behalf, is of a pure and a divine and a righteous nature. It will be good for us. It will be a blessing. And we can take that and bless others. 
we must think about where we are right here in this moment. We have a great opportunity if you can hear my voice to really get in touch with our faith. And stop limiting ourselves with all these conditions and restraints. Because if you have all the answers, and it has to be your way, then what is it that you want God to do for you? How is that working out for you? Humility and more obedience, less resistance, less questioning, less rebellion. That is not pleasing to the kingdom of God. You cannot terrorize God. The person you'll be terrorizing is yourself. Don't cancel your faith. Grow your faith. Be humble. We will continue part two next week. We love you. God bless you. And as we say here, save the lost at all costs. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit filled, live called in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 302 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 100.1 FM. Also, you can listen to KKVV Christian Talk Radio anytime via your cell phone. Please dial 605-313-0630. Again, that number is 605-313-0630. That number only works in the United States. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website www.savethelostlv.org If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc. P.O. Box number 3350. 
5852 North Las Vegas 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852 North Las Vegas 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what.